This is actually my first time since pastors kind of changed Sunday night a little bit and tried to do a little bit more teaching than preaching. And I heard this morning that, you know, sometimes he interacts with the crowd. And um, I don't let the students talk a lot, uh, so we probably won't do that. But I'm just kidding. I'll let y'all talk, don't I? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're, this is something a little weird because you're kind of peeking into what we've been doing in-house in, in on Sunday nights in the L.C., but I think it's going to be really relevant to what our pastor talked about this morning. So I asked him, I said, hey, can I do this? Because it actually ended up, I'm in a six-week series. Today's the fifth week. And so what we were talking about is actually kind of goes right along with what he was talking this morning about some stuff. And we're going to end with something that he gave us this morning in the service. But I want to kind of catch you up a little bit in two minutes. Is that all right? I'll kind of tell you where we've been and what we've been doing. Um, everything that I'm, I'm teaching on Sunday night to these students is coming out of a book called Growing Up, uh, also the Bible, but also Growing Up by Robert Galati in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, Robert is, is a champion for discipleship. And he has done a lot of research, a lot of information that he has put out, books that he has written, um, his blog on the website, everything that he's done in his church has been focused on discipleship and getting his people involved in D-groups, as they would call them. It would be groups of three to five people uh, of the same sex, studying God's Word, talking about accountability, fellowshipping together, encouraging one another, and walking through six disciplines that help us grow closer to God. And so last year, I started a a D-group of my own with four high school guys, and we've been meeting week to week. and just getting together and talking and, and encouraging them. Uh, we've been talking about these six disciplines. They've been walking through this book and reading this book. We've also been memorizing Scripture together. And, and just trying to encourage them to help them be the disciples that God wants them to be. And um, I got really serious with them uh, a couple weeks ago. And I told them, I said, it's time to put on our big boy pants. And we're really going to get to work and be the disciples that God wants us to be. And so everything that we've been talking about this new year... Uh, we call this series Closer, C-L-O-S-E-R, because of the acronym that we're about to, I'm about to show you. So the first week, we started talking about communicating with God through prayer. One of the first disciplines that we need to learn as believers, as disciples of Christ, in order to grow closer to Him, in order to know Him, in order to experience God, is to pray with God. Not just to talk to God, but to listen and, and talk, to to interact with God, to, to spend time, intimate time with Him. And I told the students this one line, a powerful prayer life is developed through the practice of praying. I told our students that we don't need any more books to tell us how to pray. We don't need any more sermons on how to pray. And it was kind of ironic that I was sitting there preaching to them about prayer but, and saying that you don't need to hear this. And I think for us as adults also, the, the best way to start praying is to start praying. The best way to get better at our prayer life, to get closer to God, the, the best way is to pray. And so I told our students, I challenged our students, go home and just start praying. You say, Chris, I don't know what to say. I don't have big words like my parents pray. That's all right. You don't need them. I think sometimes we use too many big words when we're praying, thinking that, oh, God will really hear me now. But all we need to do is start praying. So that was the first idea. The second one was this. Learn to understand and apply God's Word. I think one of the the biggest problems in our church today is right here on this this point. We are illiterate when it comes to the Bible. We've almost reverted back to Catholic days 
when the priest would stand up and he would preach the word and the cassettes go home and they didn't worry about reading God's word. Many of them maybe owned a Bible, but they never pulled it out. And not understanding, we talked to, to many Costa Ricans that, that are amazed at the verses we start to show them and going, man, I've never read that, I've never seen that. And I think the problem exists even in church today, in Christianity. As parents, we've never taught our students, our kids, how to read God's Word and how to understand it. We encourage them to read it, but we've never sat down with them and showed them, this is how you do it. So we talked about how to learn and understand God's Word, and we said this, we cannot know God, we cannot be a true disciple of Christ, or we cannot grow as a Christian apart from God's Word. In order to be the disciple that God wants us to be, this book has to be a part of our life. You can't do it. Many of you are probably going home every night and not even picking this thing up, and you think, oh, I'm fine. In actuality, you're not. Apart from God's Word, we'll never be what God intended us to be. Why? Because He speaks to us through this book. Why do you think He wrote it? So that we could put it on our shelves? You can go in my office right now, and I probably have 30 Bibles on my shelf. That means nothing to God, except if I pick it up and I begin to learn to understand and apply it to my life. So we gave him some tips on that. I'm not going to give those to you tonight because I don't have enough time. And so we, we talked about we cannot know God apart from God's Word. Number three, here's an important one. We obey God's commands. Simple as that. I said this, if you know God, you will obey God. I think a lot of times people wonder about their salvation. They doubt their salvation. And mainly, all you need to do is take this test. Are you obeying God? If you're not obeying God, then maybe you don't know God. And we talked about in 1 John what that looks like. We talked about how our lives need to be lined up with His life. I told the, the, the students, I said this, that you remember we introduced a, a definition of a disciple about two years ago, our pastor and me and Victor, and we had the Wednesday night service in the LC, and we said, we're going to give you a definition of a disciple. Because if I went around the room at that time and asked you what a disciple was, many of you would give us different definitions. Many of them good definitions. But a disciple is this, based out of Matthew. We said this, a disciple follows Jesus, a disciple is changed by Jesus, and a disciple is what? Committed to the mission of Jesus. If I'm a disciple, I'm going to be changed because of my obedience to Him. There's going to be proof in my life. There's going to be fruit from the way that I live. We obey God's Word. Number four, we store God's Word in our heart. Now, adults, I want you to understand what I'm saying. This is not just things that we tell our students and we ignore. To be the disciple that God wants us to be and to grow closer to Him, we need to do the same things. Robert Gladdy talked about couple weeks ago in one of his sermons, he said he had a 90-year-old woman come up to him and say, Robert, I just can't believe it. I've memorized 12 verses, and I've never memorized God's Word before in my life. She started this practice of memorizing God's Word and storing her heart at 90 years old. It's never too late. So one of the things I'm working on, especially with my guys, is to instill in them that we have to do more than just getting into God's Word. We have to get God's Word into us. Remember we used to do this to kids? We'd go to VBS, we'd go to kids' church, and if we memorized a verse, what did we get? Come on, we talked about this. Get candy. 
We get prizes. We get a star beside our name. What happens after children's church is over and we go on to the student ministry or we go on to be an adult? We forget about that. One of God's important things is that we get God's Word in, into our hearts and we live it. We store it here so that we have it for later. So we store God's Word in our heart. Number five, and this is where we are today. I, I want to I share something with you. When we first started this, we talked about how God uses things to change us. We talked about three different change agents. We talked about three things that God does in our life to change who we are and to make us more like Him. I want to share three things with you, and then I'm going to get into this next one. Number one, people. You know it, and I know it. We know people in our life that have done this, that God has used to change who we are. That God has changed us because of the people in our lives. Whether it be good influences or bad influences, those influences in our life, God has used to change us and who we are. So we remember that. Number two, and for me, I understand this, and many of you understand this right now in your time of life, God also uses circumstances. God uses the things in our life, the times in our life, the storms in our life to change us and to make us more like Him. Robert Gladys, as he wrote this book, he talked about how him and his wife lived when Hurricane Katrina roared through New Orleans. He lost everything. He said, I remember how devastated we were and everything was gone. And he said, I remember and I look back as I write this book, I think of all the times in my life and the things that I've gone through and how God has used that to change me and to make me the man that God wants me to be. Circumstances changes. And both of those things we have no control over a lot of times. Circumstances we can't control who dies in our life or who gets sick and diseases or or what storms come, physical storms in our lives. We have no control over that. Sometimes we have no control over the people that God puts in our life and the influence they have on us. But this last one we have all control over. And I think that's the problem. I think that's why many of us are stuck where we are and we're not growing closer to God. We're not experiencing what God wants to do in our lives and taking us to the next level. It's because of this change agent that we have stopped the growth. The third thing is this, spiritual disciplines. And that's why we've talked about these last few things in student ministry. And we've made them a priority in what we've done. And this is why I started with this series beginning in the new year. Because I want these students to understand that this is important in your life for you to grow closer to Jesus. Yes, God uses people and God uses circumstances. But it is not until God uses spiritual disciplines and we allow Him to use those to change us, to make us who He wants us to be. We have all control over these. We either do them or we don't. We either are involved in these things or we don't even think about them. This pulpit will never allow you to grow where God wants you to grow. The preaching that comes from this pulpit may be powerful. It may be God-driven. It may be all about God's Word. But this right here is not going to make you the disciple that God wants you to be. Your time in the Word is what's going to do that. God wants to use the disciplines in your life, the spiritual disciplines in your life, to make you who you ought to be. And you determine how much. 
You determine how much time you put into understanding God's Word. You determine how much you're going to be obedient to God. You determine how many verses and how much of God's Word you will put into your heart. You determine how much you're going to pray to God and spend time in intimate fellowship with Him. You're not growing, it's probably your fault. If you're not growing closer to Jesus, you're not growing more like Him, then it's definitely your fault. Because these things are not in our life. So number five, and here it is, evangelism. Evangelism. One of the greatest ways and one of the disciplines that we need in our life is to evangelize. And so I started looking, I said, what is evangelism? For many of us, we might not even know the exact definition. It's good to just have a definition. But, but here, here, listen to this first. True disciples make disciples, and disciples cannot be made without what? I just said it. Evangelism. True disciples make disciples. That's what we're about. As the church, we are to make disciples. You remember I said that definition of discipleship? A disciple, what? Is committed to the mission of Jesus. What is the mission of Jesus? To have a, have a, have a cool, air-conditioned, heated room with padded pews? Was the mission of Jesus to build a life center so we can play basketball and work out and have a healthy life? The mission of Jesus was what? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. In all four Gospels, he gives them a command, a commission to go and make disciples, to proclaim the good news. In Acts, he starts off the book of Acts with the great commission of be my witnesses in all the world. So we've missed it. The mission of Jesus is to make disciples, but we cannot make disciples without what? Evangelism. So what is evangelism? Here's a good definition. Two definitions. Number one. Evangelism have to do, has to do with the proclamation of the message of the good news. It's proclaiming the good news. It's preaching the good news. Did you know that every single one of you is a preacher? You don't have to be good at it. Jesus never said, hey, I've called preachers to go proclaim the good news only. The rest of you are not good at it, so you just sit in the pew and hang out and listen. Jesus told all his disciples, he told everybody from God's word to go and make disciples. Evangelism has to do with the proclamation of the message of good news. Here's another definition, a little longer, and we're going to look into this one. Evangelism is simply sharing the person and work of Christ to sinful human beings with the hope that they will repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I'm going to read it one more time because I know some of you are taking notes and I'm a fast talk. Evangelism is sharing the person and work of Christ to sinful human beings with the hope that they will repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's evangelism. That's what Christ has called us to do. Yes, He's called us to make disciples, but without evangelism, we cannot make disciples. Look at this. Looking at that definition, I want to give you a few things. Number one, success in evangelism is in the sharing about Jesus and what he did, not the saving. Now, now hear me out. Listen to me very carefully. Success in evangelism is in the sharing 
of the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus, not in the saving. Some of you are going, no, 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 hold up, hold up. But I'm going to say, hold up, hold up, because, see, this is the thing. Jesus called us to proclaim the good news. Who does the saving? Jesus does. I have no control over that. I have no power to bring salvation to someone. The only power that I have is God's power equipping me to be bold enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So if I'm looking at evangelism, I say, how do I know I'm successful? How do I know if I failed? How do I know if this thing worked? What did you share? You get an A+. Did you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ and what he did on the cross? If you proclaimed it, if you told somebody, if you verbally shared that with somebody, guess what? You succeeded. So they didn't pray. That's not on you. That's not on me. God does the rest. We do just sharing. That's all he's called us to do. So success in evangelism is in the sharing, not the saving. That's the truth. You've heard this quote. It's probably been, I don't know how many times I've heard it. But St. Francis of Assisi said this, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Did you realize that didn't say that. <laughs> Nobody's been able to find it where he said it. But, but this one guy, Dwayne Lifton, president of, of Wheaton College, recently addressed the, the trouble with this. Listen to this. He said, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. Right? I mean, you know as well as I do, the preacher that stands up here on Sunday morning, if he just stood up here... Would you come back? <laughs> he uses words. Dwayne says it's impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. So it's ignorant to say, hey, I'm going to live my life like the gospel, and people can look at me, and that's, I've done my job. No, see, he called us to go and proclaim the good news. Yes, we live a, 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 a worthy of the calling. Yes, we need to live the life in front of people, but that is not evangelism. Evangelism is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. So don't give me the excuse of, well, I'm living a holy life in front of these friends. That's great, but have you told them about Jesus? You remember this verse, Romans ten fourteen. it says this, How then will they call on Him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without what? A preacher. Paul said that. No saint or other saint. Just Paul. Average old Paul. How are they going to hear it? If we don't preach it to them, if we don't verbally preach it to them, how will they hear? How will they believe? Our pastor said this morning that God wants to do something in us and what? Through us. Guess what? This is it. Have you ever wondered, God, why did you save me and keep me here? You ever asked that question? I've asked that before. I'm like, God, why don't you just take us home? I mean, wouldn't it be better? We always say that. Oh, they're better off in heaven. Well, yeah, duh. Take me on. I said, I'm not done with you. 
See, I have something for you to do. I have something for each and every one of you, someone in your life to preach the gospel to because my desire is for all people to know, for all people to believe. And in order to believe, they have to hear. And in order to hear, somebody has to preach it to them. The second thing is this, in that definition of evangelism, the object of our evangelism is the lost. Did you hear that? I, I said this, that evangelism is sharing the person and work of Christ to who? Sinful human beings. The object of our evangelism is the lost. This seems to be one of those duh moments, right? Well, that, that's pretty obvious, Chris. I'm, I'm glad you get paid to stand up there and say that. But listen to this. We all know good and well that we need to share the gospel with those we have not, who have not heard or believed in the gospel. Then why do we spend more time with other disciples here within these walls of the church than with the lost and dying world outside of the walls? Have you ever added up how much time you spend in here versus how much time you spend out there sharing? I'm not talking about working. I'm not talking about just in your home. I'm not talking about at school. I'm talking about how many times you verbally share the gospel with somebody. Try it sometime. I'm guilty of it. I spend more time here in these walls than I do out there sharing the gospel with people. Even in coming contact with people all the time, we're just quiet. It's no excuse. Our pastor talked a bit about this last year with relational evangelism. We have people all around us, don't we? We have lost people all around us. Students, you have students in your school that do not know Jesus Christ. And what God wants to do through you is right there in those walls. Yes, God uses us here, and He has a purpose for His church here. But guess what? The main purpose for His church is to what? Proclaim the good news. So why do we sit here in these pews, yet we're not ready to go out there and preach the good news? I'm not talking about just taking a week mission trip every summer. I'm talking about everyday evangelism. Every day we see somebody that we don't know or we're not sure where they are in their walk with God. Why don't we share? I don't have this in my notes, but I'm going to share this with you because this is kind of where I failed this week. I went to Atlanta with my daughter um, for a field trip, and we're sitting at lunch, and there's a four-top, and me and her are just sitting there by ourselves, and it's, it's packed in CNN Center. You've been there in the food court. I mean, tons of people, conferences going on, all kind of different people, people from all over the world. And we're sitting there, and we're just eating, and these two girls come up, probably young adult age. They come up and say, can we sit here, but not that clean of English? And, and they sat down, and we begin to talk to them, and I said, where are you from? They said, from South Korea. I said, hmm. And we start making small talk. And you know what I did? With the whole conversation, without saying anything about what I did, well, except I said I worked in a church, but that was it. And we began to talk, and I was trying to understand them, and they were like, you don't understand us? I was like, not really. But they're, they're talking about being in Seattle. And, all, and we're carrying on a conversation. And it never dawns on me. I'm going to tell you, this is how I am. It never dawns on me. And I'm walking down the hall. After we finish, we leave. We tell them goodbye. Walking down the hallway, and, and a, a lady stops me, and we're talking, and we said, yeah, we just had lunch with some, some Koreans, and they were nice, nice girls. And she said, ah, did you tell them about Jesus? And she was joking. But you know what? That hurt. 
It was like a knife in my heart. Saying, man, I just missed an opportunity. I probably would have thought, you know what, God, they're, they're not going to understand me. They're going to blow me off. I mean, we're sitting here in a busy CNN center and nobody wants to hear this. And God said, Chris, I didn't call you to save them. I called you to tell them. Did you say anything about me? Did you, did you even mention my name? I said, wow. Here we are sitting in a beautiful building. Enjoying the, the warmth and the fellowship of people. And there are people all around us every day, all day, that do not know the saving work of our Savior. I love what the pastor said this morning, that he wants you to have two moments. One, this is for me. We like that part, don't we? That part's easy and that part's good and that part's like, yes! That was just for me. That, look at what God did. I was an enemy of Christ, and he sent his son to die on the cross for me so that I didn't have to spend eternity in hell, and now I get to spend eternity with him in heaven. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. But then pastor said, we also need to say, this is not just for me. I feel oftentimes we walk out of here blessed, full, and overwhelmingly just Beaming because of what God did in our heart. But as soon as we walk out of here, what happens? Boom, it's like it never happened. It's like nothing changed. Where's God then? The lost needs to be the object of our evangelism. Who do you work with? Who do you live beside? Who do you go to school with? Who are the people in your life that need to hear the message that was for you, but now is for them? Who is it you eat lunch with every day? Maybe they sit at another table that you've never been to because those people are weird and you won't even step close to them. Guess what? Those may be the people that God wants to use you to speak the truth to them. Who is it you work beside? Every day you, you go to work, in and out, in and out, in and out. God wants to do something through you. But the problem is sometimes we block that. Sometimes we don't allow that. And yes, God has the power to do imaginably more, but guess what? If you're not willing, hmm, maybe He'll pass on you and go to somebody else. Maybe He'll use somebody else to speak to that person because they'll be obedient. This is the other thing. The goal of evangelism is repentance. I said this, that we, we, we share to sinful human beings with the hope that they will repent of their sins. Listen to this. The goal of evangelism is repentance. Don't force them. This is one of the things I think we have to be careful of, and sometimes I've been guilty of this, that we, we push and we push and we push, and they're just not sure, and they're right there on the edge, and they're almost about to fall over into repentance, and we can see it on their face, we can see it in their heart, and we just keep pushing, we keep pushing, we keep pushing. Guess what? Again, it is not our job to force repentance. Sometimes the best thing to do is to share and tell them and walk away. 
if you've built a relationship with that person and they know you're going to come back or they know where you are, they know you as a person of God, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ and you say, man, I got some good news for you. Let me share what God has done in my life. Let me share what he has done that he can do in your life. Because all of a sudden, guess what? As I've done my part, God begins to work in their life, in their heart. Now, I'm not saying every time, because a lot of times we need to call them to repentance. There's a lot of times when you're sharing with somebody, you know it's the moment that all of a sudden you say, you know what, God says repent and believe. Are you ready to do that? Give them the opportunity to do that. But don't push and push and push. I wrote a couple verses down because I want you to understand this, that repentance is not just, I'm sorry for my sins. One of the things I want people to understand is repentance is not just, God, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. You know, you ask your kids sometimes, hey, you need to apologize to your brother, or you need to apologize to your sister, and my kids do this, sorry. You ever, you ever got that? I'm, I'm sure I did that. But yeah, how he knows. I can see Jack's face now. Go tell your mama you're sorry. Sorry, mama. (laughs) It's not true repentance. A lot of times we look in God's face and we go, God, I'm sorry. Let me show you something. 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly grief... Not just a, you know, feeling bad. It's not just a feeling. It's not just something in my heart that, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I hurt that person. I can't believe that, that I did that against God. No, it's godly grief that we cannot get past. And because of that godly grief, when we understand that we have sinned against a holy God, all of a sudden it produces repentance that I turn from my sin. The things that I love, the things that I want to do, the desires of my heart are no longer my desires because I feel so bad. I feel like I'm torn up inside because I know I've hurt him. That's repentance. See, godly grief produces that kind of repentance. Jesus said in Luke 5, 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Repent, for the time has come. This was the message of the good news. Repent, turn from your sins. Oftentimes we go with the gospel and we share with people and we say, oh, God loves you and God has such a great plan for your life and God wants to take you to heaven and he's going to make everything so good. You're going to love him. You're going to have such a great time. But guess what? There has to be grief in our life that we have caused pain in God's heart because of our sin. And because of that, we have to turn from everything that we know is wrong. If there's no turning... More than likely, no salvation. Because true repentance brings salvation. It's not about a ticket to heaven. It's not about a one-way pass to, to the eternities with God. It is about true repentance and turning from our sins and our selfishness and turning to God. I wrote this down. I read this somewhere, and I want to read this to you. It says, what is repentance? 
It is turning from the sins you love to the holy God you're called to love. Listen to this again. Repeat it. It says, turning from the, the sins you love to the holy God you're called to love. It is admitting that you're not God. It is beginning to value Jesus more than your immediate pleasure. It is giving up those things the Bible calls sin and leaving them to follow Jesus. So when Jesus called the disciples and said, follow me, guess what? He wasn't just talking about, hey, just come with me. He was talking about turn from everything else that you know. Turn from the sins of your past. Turn from all your hurts and all the things that you've done that you know go against God and follow me. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Die to self daily and follow me. See, just because we repent at the beginning of salvation doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to turn and follow Jesus. Repentance is a huge part of the gospel. And when you're presenting the gospel to somebody, you have to call them to repentance. It is not just about having a friendship with Jesus Christ. It is about recognizing that I am wrong and that I am not God, and that I cannot have the pleasures of the sin in this world. I have to turn from that and follow the God that loves me. So we put this, share the good news. Evangelism, Elton Trueblood said this, Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. I love that. Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Christ, you make disciples. And disciples cannot be made without evangelism. You want to know if you're a disciple? How many times are you sharing? Who have you shared with? Share the good news. You know this, the word evangelism is actually not in the Bible. The word evangelism. Now, the good news, evangel is, but the word evangelism, evangelist is, but listen to this, it is woven into the very fabric of Scripture. Just because God didn't use the exact word that we call evangelism, it is still woven into the Scriptures that we know today as God's Word. All four men wrote inspired accounts of the life of Christ, recorded His command to share the gospel. Listen to this, I'm going to read all four of these. You can write them down. I'll give you the references. Of course, we know Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Mark 16, 15 says this. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke says in, in 24:47, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. John chapter 20 verse 21 says, "Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you." At the end of every gospel in the New Testament, the writer makes a record of what Jesus says and the command that he gave them to go and share the gospel. This is what's interesting. You probably never thought about this. At the end of all four Gospels, Jesus does that. Guess what? In the book of Acts, it starts with that. 
You ever thought about that? Here we are, the Gospels, the end of the book, and Acts, the beginning. Listen to this, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. Acts is the story of how the handful of men in whom Jesus invested his life obeyed his command, reaching the world of their day with the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Here they heard it. Jesus preaches it to them. The beginning of Acts, they hear it. and started with this, and guess what? The whole book of Acts is them going and proclaiming the gospel. Nowhere in Acts do you see them just living it out in front of people. Peter begins the, the book of Acts and starts off with what? Preaching the gospel to all people. People from all over came right there in Jerusalem and he began to preach the gospel. And guess what? 3,000 people believed and trusted and repented of their sins. Paul takes off on three missionary journeys. Not with the idea of going and living a good life and sometimes preaching words, but guess what? He preached the gospel to all people. He walked into situations he didn't even know what was going to happen. He walked back into situations he known that he had just been beaten and stoned. Paul did that for the gospel. For the command of Jesus to be obedient was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Share the good news. I want to give you something, the gospel in a nutshell. I, I found this somewhere and I, and I, w- I want to share this with you so you can, can hear this. The gospel in a nutshell. And try to write down, take, take some short notes, because I only got like 13 minutes. The one and only God who is holy made us in His image to know Him. One God, holy God, made us, created us to know Him. It's the very beginning, right? Genesis chapter 2, 1, 2. We see that God did that, and then, but we sinned and cut ourselves off from Him. Genesis chapter 3. Holy God, one God, made us, created us to know Him, to fellowship with Him, but we sin. We fell short of God's glory. We cut ourselves off from Him, and God kicked us out of the garden. Brought death. In His great love, though, God became a man in Jesus. In God's great love, He became a man in Jesus. Lived a perfect life and died on the cross. Through fulfilling the law with the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. I love this phrase. Through fulfilling the law himself. God made a law. Creator, holy God, made us. We messed up. We sinned. And God made a law. And although God knew that we could not fulfill that law, that we could not even stand close to that law. We would never fulfill that law. God Himself came down to earth to become man through Jesus to fulfill that law. We have men all in our world that that make laws up, right? Jesus, God, came down to die on the cross to live a perfect life and to show us, hey, I've done this for you. Then He rose again from the dead. Showing, this is why, showing that God accepts Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us had been exhausted. He rose again from the dead because that was God's way of saying, I accept. That's good. Now now you've taken care of that. 
if they will just trust and believe in me and repent of their sins, then that sacrifice has satisfied my wrath. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for forgiveness. Get that first thing. He calls us to repent of our sins. We first have to turn before we can trust. We can't trust and then turn. We turn first and then we trust. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life and eternal life with God. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life. Listen to what Ezekiel said in the Old Testament. This is a beautiful picture of what God did in the gospel in the New Testament. He told the people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, the heart of sin from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be carefully to obey my rules. In the Old Testament, God was proclaiming what He was about to do in the New Testament thousands of years later. God said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that old, cruddy, sinful, dark, dirty heart of yours, and I'm just going to replace it. I'm going to give you a new one. Not a used one. This is, this is not somebody else's heart that's better than yours because nobody's heart is good. Can't do no heart transplants here. This has to be a new heart. The Old Testament, he tells us what he's going to do in the Gospels, that he replaces our heart. His spirit will be within us. It's the Gospel in a nutshell. That's all you've got to share. If you share those things, guess what? You've done evangelism, and you've been successful at what God has called you to do. I want to do this in closing. I'm going to skip some stuff, but I want you to... If, did, did anybody still have their impact card from this morning? Were you, were you here this morning? pastor gave some impact cards, and if you don't, that's cool. He didn't ask me to do this. I told him I was going to do it. But I want you to pull this out if you have it. This morning he challenged us, and I think this is, this is what's going to change our church. This is what's going to take us to the next level. This is what's going to do everything that God wants to do. and It's going to be our obedience and our faithfulness to this right here. Not just because it's another program, not just another campaign, but because it's what God has called us to do. What I want you to do is this. Some of you know people that you need to write on there. Maybe you've already done that. But I want to close the service with this. If you have this card, I want you to close the service tonight as I pray. I want you to write those three names on here. I want you to sign it. You say, I'm commit myself to one, pray for them daily. All three names, I'm going to pray for them every day. I'm going to put this card somewhere that I see it. Now, I probably don't need to put mine in my wallet because I don't see my wallet a lot. My wife does not give me cash and it's just no good to me. But I'm going to put this card where I'm going to see it every day, and I'm going to make sure that every day I'm praying for those three people. And so during the prayer, I'm just going to ask you, this is our time of response, that you're just going to write those three names down, and you're going to sign it and say, that's what I'm going to do. 
Not only pray for them, but number two, sharing my own verbal witness. I'm going to do evangelism. It might not be the first day you see them. It might be over time as you build a relationship with them, as you get closer to them, as you understand them, and they understand you. But I'm going to ask that you pray for them daily, and then pray, God, give me opportunities. The times when I've gone in places and I've said, God, show me who you want me to talk to, guess what? 100% of the time, he's done that. You know why? It's not because all of a sudden I woke God up. Just because I prayed that, it's not like, oh, God says, oh, man, I've got to find somebody. Go to that guy. No, this is the thing I've found in my life. When I begin to pray like that and I begin to ask for opportunities, guess what? My eyes are open. When I don't pray for those opportunities, guess what? Those people are still there. I just don't see them. Because I'm not looking for the opportunity. I'm not aware of what God wants to do in my life and through me because I'm not looking for it. I ignore who God wants me to be with. Just like in Atlanta, I'm sitting there because I wasn't praying with my daughter going, God, there are people from all over the world in this place and I want to share the gospel with them and I want you to show me. I want you to sit them right in front of me. Let me eat with them today and I'll share the gospel with them. And you know what's funny? He slapped me in the face and said, Chris, I just set two people with you and you didn't say a word. That hurts. So I want you to pray daily for those people. I want you to pray for opportunities to share your verbal witness. Students, you hear me? All right, if we were just in a house by ourselves, I'd be telling and challenging this as our response time, as our obedience time. I want you to write these three names and I want you to go and share with them. Then the fourth thing he put on the card is this. Inviting them to Mount Airy. Now, I want you to do this. I don't want you to get confused and switch two and three. You understand me? Students, you understand me? Don't be switching two and three. Because if you switch two and three, what are you doing? You're depending on who to preach the gospel. The preacher. It's not his job. It's your job. So don't switch those two numbers. Preach the gospel and then say, hey, i got a great church. I'd love for you to be a part of. I'd love for you to see what God's doing at Mount Airy. Now I've told you about it. Now come see it. I want to challenge you, church. And pastors challenged us, the staff, to every group that we're with this morning. First thing I did at 9.45, no, 10 o'clock, I told the band out after practice, I said, guys, here's your card. Go do it. Every group that I have, I'm going to make sure that they have these cards to go and share the gospel with people. This right here is one of those disciplines we need to have in our life to help us grow closer to Jesus. I think I asked the students this one time. I asked them, I said, how many in here want to grow closer to Jesus? And I think every hand went up. I think if I was to ask the same thing in here, if I was to ask you to close your eyes and ask you, who wants to grow closer to Jesus? Every single one of us would be like, I do. Well, you know what? You can you know who's stopping you? You. It ain't God. It's you. What do we need to do? What is it we need to work on? Reading God's Word, understanding God's Word, storing God's Word, praying to God, maybe telling somebody about Jesus Christ? What is it I need to do to grow closer to Jesus?
I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do this. Pray about who it is you want to put on this card, that God wants to, to use you, to, live, to work through you, to share the gospel with somebody. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to, to preach uh, behind this pulpit. And God, my, my, my hope is this, that everything I've said has not been void of you, Father. Lord, these have not just been my words, but these are your words, Father, challenging the people to stand and to share the good news. Father, I pray that these words would just wreak havoc on me. God, that my life would be about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Father, I pray that you would just push us. God, to no longer be satisfied with sitting in a pew listening to good sermons. To no longer be satisfied with being a member of a great church, God. I pray that our hearts would yearn. Our hearts' desire would be to go outside these walls with the people that need you. People that are poor and wretched and enemies of God. God, I consider everyone outside of your family to be underprivileged. That they need you. That they need the gospel. Father, I pray that you would challenge us to not just sit and listen and accept the message, but Lord, that we would live the message. Give us those people in our card. God, may we see fruit come from this. And we see your kingdom blow up because of this. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy, holy, holy name. Amen.